memories of attending Christmas services of nine lessons and carols at my church in Newcastle upon Tyne. It was the same readings every year. That great prophecy from Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But the climax of the service was that opening chapter of John's Gospel. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As a child, that carol service was my favorite service of the year. This week I've been thinking about some of my other favorite services in churches that Jan and I have belonged to before coming here to St. Paul's. Jan and I met at Holy Trinity Church in the center of Coventry, right next door to the cathedral. And my favorite service there was held on the evening of Advent Sunday. They called it a darkness to light service and the church was lit by candlelight and we sang Advent carols. A few years later, when I was a curate at Binley in Coventry, my favorite service started before sunrise on Easter morning. Although it was in the morning, um, although it was in the city, the church itself was surrounded by fields of horses. And I remember the excitement of our three small children as we walked across the fields in the darkness, trying to avoid the horses. And we reached the church and found it full of people sitting quietly and expectantly in the dark. And then the service would begin with the lighting of a single candle on that Easter morning. And as the service progressed, a few more candles were lit. And at the end of the service, the sun had risen and the church was full of light. I was thinking about these things this week and it just struck me for the first time that my three favorite church services, each from different decades, are all connected by darkness and light. And I guess it's because that image of light shining in the darkness is such a striking one. And of course, it's also such a powerful metaphor. It's a metaphor that's been used a lot about the pandemic. And it's true that the world does seem to be a dark place at present. There's a lot of fear about. Some people are fearing for their physical health, especially those who are older or who have underlying health problems. Some people fear for their mental health, especially those who feel cut off from their support networks. Some people fear losing their job, especially those who've been furloughed or those who work in sectors that have been financially hit by the lockdown. Linked to that, some people fear about the economy and how the world will recover from the damage that's already been done. And other people are fearing about the deep divisions in our society. There are those who strongly believe that lockdown is a price worth paying to protect the NHS and keep people safe. And there are those who strongly believe that the effects of the lockdown are worse than the disease itself. And so just like in, with Brexit, views are polarized 
and our country is deeply divided about how we should respond to the pandemic. Add all this together, fear for physical health, fear for mental health, fear for jobs, fear for the economy, fear for the divisions in society. And our world does seem to be a dark place at present. At the end of the first lockdown, people started talking about light at the end of the tunnel. Not the scientists, they mostly painted a rather gloomy picture and said that the virus wasn't going away and that the second wave in the autumn might be worse than the first. But for many of us, things were getting better. The number of cases had started to fall significantly. Very few people were now dying from the virus. We could meet people again. More shops and places of work were opened. We were encouraged to eat out, to help out. Church reopened for private prayer and public worship. Some people even went abroad on holiday. In China and South Korea, the virus had been brought under control by tracking and tracing. And on the 21st of May, the UK government announced that we would have a world-beating tracking and tracing system. This was our light at the end of the tunnel. Unfortunately, as others have pointed out, the light at the end of the tunnel turned, to be an on, turned out to be an oncoming train. And so the darkness has returned. And as winter approaches and the days are much shorter, the physical darkness seems to be reinforcing the metaphorical darkness. Earlier in the year, many people were talking about their hope for a normal Christmas. And even at the beginning of this month, as he announced the second lockdown, our Prime Minister said, I have every confidence that, we, that people will be able to have as normal a Christmas as possible and that we'll be able to get things open before Christmas. Politicians understand the need for us to have hope. Down the ages, countless people have spoken and written about the importance of hope. For example, Dostoevsky said, to live without hope is to cease to live. St. Augustine said, there is no love without hope, no hope without love, and neither hope nor love without faith. Martin Luther King said, even in the inevitable moments when all seems hopeless, men know that without hope they cannot really live. And in agonizing desperation, they cry for the bread of hope. And Lewis Smead said, hope is to our spirits what oxygen is to our lungs. Lose hope and you die. They may not bury you for a while, but without hope, you are dead inside. And I could easily have spent the next hour reeling off many such quotes about the need for hope. But where do we find hope in times of crisis? Well, some people look to our politicians for hope. And it's fascinating to see how even having lost the election, Donald Trump continues to be a source of hope for many people in America. But there is a tendency for politicians from all parties 
to overpromise and then inevitably to underdeliver. Others look to our scientists for hope. But like everyone, our scientists are fallible too. And the views of different scientists can sometimes be as divided as those in the rest of society. And so, as our track and trace system doesn't quite live up to expectations, and our plans for Christmas turn out to be far from normal, we're now being offered a new light at the end of the tunnel. Mass vaccinations and a return to normal after Easter. But our Bible reading reminds us that there is an alternative source for hope because Jesus is the true light in, of the world. As we heard in John's prologue to his gospel, in him was life and that life was the light of all people, the light shining in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And as Jesus himself said later in the gospel in chapter eight, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light that never fails. Jesus is the true hope for the world. And Jesus is the one who never overpromises or underdelivers. So what exactly does Jesus promise us? Well, before coming to that, I just want to briefly mention one thing that he never promised us. He never promised us an easy life. Following Jesus is not a shortcut to avoiding the difficulties of life. It doesn't automatically make us immune to the virus. It doesn't give us financial security or protect us from other problems that life may throw at us. In fact, in fact, quite the opposite. In addition to all the problems faced by everyone else, Jesus said that his followers must take up their cross if they want to follow him. However, Jesus did promise us fullness of life. He said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And it seems an incredible contradiction, but we only find life when we stop pursuing it. When we stop chasing the things that we believe will bring us life and instead pursue the creator of life, it's only then we discover life as it was meant and designed to be. Furthermore, it's life without end. Jesus promises, promises us fullness of life now and eternal life with him forever. Secondly, he also promised that he would never leave us. I am with you always, Jesus said, to the very end of the age. Whatever difficulties we might face during this pandemic, or in fact for the remainder of our lives, we don't face them alone. Jesus faces them with us. He guides us, he comforts us, and he supports us. 
And next, Jesus promised to give us peace and joy. On the night before he was crucified, he said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's amazing that in the midst of death, we can have a deep sense of peace that passes understanding, which then grows into a deep joy. That's why Jesus is the light shining in the darkness. That's why Jesus is the true hope for the world. And that's why Jesus is the one who never overpromises or underdelivers. So let's just be quiet for a moment as our band returns. And I just want to read you again some of those words of the Bible, some words of Jesus. And in the quiet, I ask you to think, or to ask God if there's one of these verses that is particularly relevant so that God wants to speak to you in your circumstances today. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Our final song is Hope of the Nations. Mm.